Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again with another new episode. This week, we are moving on from the Sermon on the Mount. We have wrapped up chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. And this week, we're going to look at 8 and move forward. And as I mentioned on last week's episode, we will probably take this into chunks today. We'll look at the cleansing of a leper in the first couple of verses, and then from 5 until... Uh, 13, we will read the faith of the centurion. So we will um, take on both of these topics and uh, we will uh, wrap the episode on that, I think. And I, there's a, a lot of really good things that we can cultivate out of this text. And so I'm pretty excited to dig into it with you. So uh, just a few quick reminders. I won't spend a ton of time on them, but if you know I am in the process of writing a book. If you'd like to be a part of that and get insight and get you know chapter releases and, and a free copy of the book, join us on Patreon, and you can do so for a dollar a month and uh, or, or more if you choose, but a dollar a month or $10 a year gets you full access to all of the things that we do on Undying Light, and it also includes the weekly Bible studies, and we have uh, sermon note releases, early podcast releases, special bonus content and things of that nature, which we'll be working on more this summer uh, as the uh, you know, post-Easter time as things start to slow down. So got a lot on our plates moving into the next few weeks with Holy Week just around the corner and a lot of prep and, uh, and dealings. So I am um, very excited for how all of that is going to play out in our church and in, in the ministry. And so I hope to give a lot of that back to the patrons. So a dollar a month or $10 a year, you can join us, uh, as well as you can get yourself a free copy of Logos. If you just go to Logos.com and download their software, you can get a free copy. And then you can just add uh, the resources as you are uh, as you need. You can add Bibles and commentaries and study Bibles and all the, the, the great theology books that span across multiple denominations and really all of Christianity, because there's Eastern Orthodox, there's Roman Catholic, there's even Jewish context and, and packages there. So some really interesting things that you can dig into and really explore and build out your library uh, as, you know, right to your liking. So Logos.com, you can get a discounted copy if you go to Logos.com forward slash Undying Light. And 
that's really it for for my little quote-unquote commercials. I don't want to spend a ton of time on them. You guys know, check the show notes, and you get all the information, whether it's fitness or um, or patron or, or logos. All of that's included there. So pay attention to those as I keep those, um, you know, I post them every week in the show. Uh, so just some other things that I'm working on, you know, is besides the book is just trying to um, cultivate and build out some teaching materials for the church. Those are things I'm kind of kicking around in my mental bucket, and I'm going to weigh them out this summer and see if it's going to be something I take on and hopes to really draw attention to the Lutheran confessions in hopes that we can find a simplified understanding and help to talk through some of these um, you know, rather difficult conversations and topics. So that's some stuff I'm working on for the ministry and for our church. And if you're interested in, in any of the sermons, we are found Stratford Evangelical Lutheran on all major podcast platforms, which uh, I believe we're out there. I know we're on iTunes and Spotify, and there's a few others that they post to, but um, I don't know what else. I don't know if we're on Amazon or Audible or anything like that, so I'll have to look into that. But I know for this show, we're everywhere because our host puts us out on, on every platform, which is fantastic. So you may not have to listen to us on iTunes and or Spotify. I know there's a few people uh, who I'm good friends with, who uh, can't decide whether they're going to be an Apple fan or a Spotify fan. Me personally, I use Spotify exclusively, and I uh, have used it for a number of years. I have a very salty taste in my mouth for I, for Apple and their iTunes program, so I have not gone back to them. But that's another story for another time. Let's get into the material that we're going to handle today and uh, start unpacking Matthew chapter Eight. So we're gonna look at the first four verses here uh, in the you know immediate time, and then we'll move on to these uh, other verses. Again, if we if we cover the content and we're under thirty minutes, we'll close the showdown. If we go over thirty minutes, we'll close the showdown within about thirty-five. That's the goal: is to keep it under thirty-five minutes, and more importantly, keep it under thirty. Because I know that a lot of you can't get you know your a full hour of a show in, and if we could do a full hour, we'd do a whole bunch of content. But it's just not feasible at this stage, and I think a lot of people like the shorter shows because you can listen to them uh, quicker, and you don't have to sit and listen to me babble on for an hour and a half on one topic and then move on to the next topic and hear the same, you know, hear something else for another hour and a half. In that three hours, you can get four or five shows done. So, all right, uh, so let's get into the material. Here is Matthew chapter eight. When he came down from the mountains, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Right there, it's the section so he's coming down from the mountain. He's finished the Sermon on the Mount. It's wrapped up in a little nice bow placed upon it. Uh, and as he's traveling on, these crowds are going to be following him. And so this is really kind of the, uh, you can almost state that this is a very beginning part of when these massive crowds followed him. There were some other notions to crowds following him earlier in the gospel, but this is like those big you know, crowds. I mean, you're, you're talking you know, 5,000 plus people, because we'll get into the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 
and we'll deal with all that uh, very shortly. And so we we know that these crowds uh, number a, a lot of people. Uh, some theologians have speculated that it the the five thousand feeding story is more so closer to maybe fifteen because when you add women and children, because it only counts for uh, men in the text, and so some people would assert that there could have been as many as fifteen or more thousand people present around him as he's teaching, which very plausible, uh, but we're never really given an exact number. We just see great crowds or crowds uh, following him. And that I would venture to assert that this number is, is quite large. So uh, so he's coming down from the mountain, crowds are following him, and behold, a leper. And so there's there's an interesting um, note on on leprosy and we can we can dig into that whole context i know chad bird did a video on it uh, not too long ago on his youtube page talking about the leprosy and and was it really true leprosy or was it something more of just a skin disease because uh, he goes on and how it's used in the hebrew versus how it's used in the new testament and he's got a great video it's a fantastic breakdown i advise you to go and watch it we're not going to spend a ton of time on the, you know whether it was whether or not it was a lepers uh, that was cleansed here we're going to just focus on the text as is and unpack it as is uh, we do get into some of the finer more detailed explanations on some things but this is one of those that it, it's nice secondary knowledge but it's not crucial to understanding of the text whether you believe he truly had leprosy or he had just some really foul skin disease both of those are equated in this text because what happens is, is he's cleaned of it. And so that is the miracle. It's not necessarily whether he had this or that it's that he was cleaned. So I preached a sermon, um, this past Sunday in my church. And I made a comment, uh, during that, that the Jewish people had this notion of placing blame on, on a particular suffering that the person had been afflicted with. And so they thought that if it was a disease such as leprosy in this text, there had to have been a sin that had caused that affliction. And the text that I used in the sermon was John chapter 9, the cleansing of the blind man. And Jesus spits into the mud and rubs the mud in his eyes and he, the blind man can see. But it's set up with this notion in the first verse on the disciples asking, whose sin was it this this man's parents or was it this man in the womb and jesus goes on to say it was neither of these it was so that the works of god can be displayed in him and so the jewish people had this kind of mental notion if you would that they they had to assign blame for whatever afflicted their people and so they would usually assert that it was some sin that had been Prevent, uh, present in the birth or in the womb or a sin that the parents had committed while the child was conceived or during utero that this you know will now pass to that quote-unquote generational curse and this is a big thing funny enough now in, in, in some of these kind of I'd say fringe churches maybe I, I wouldn't certainly probably call them Protestant but they're they're Christians maybe um, but they really assert this whole generational curse thing and they really, you know, go out and, and try and break the generational curse chains and stuff. I mean, it's it's a really wacky theology. Um, but again, it puts more emphasis 
on works, signs, and wonders than it does on the gospel and the promises of Jesus Christ. And so uh, there's always going to be that dynamic, you know, chasm in the church between people who want to see signs and wonders and people who truly authentically believe in the gospel. So uh, we, we have this notion that the Jews assert blame for whatever afflicted their people. And again, it kind of trickles into that generational cursing mindset. Um, and this is something that is often used in Numbers chapter 12, verse 10. Here's what it says. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow, and Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And so they would they they would assert that something they did, God is punishing them, punishing them with such diseases. So lepers are ritually unclean. They're excluded from the community. They have no means to come into the temple. They are not allowed into, you know, the in the marketplaces. They are kicked out of town. And most of them live kind of in the wilderness, if you would. So they have uh, no human-to-human contact. And he comes and he says, you know, if you would, Lord, if you will, make me clean. So he asserts right out of the gate, Lord, you know, the addressing of Christ in his proper title. But we also can be weary of how people use the word Lord, Lord. Uh, in Matthew chapter 7, but as I made a comment on that particular show when we looked at verses 21 through 24, it is not Christians and people seeking Christ that use that term. It's the false teachers and the and the heretics that will use these, you know, we essentially use Jesus as a crutch or a standing point to jump into the next thing. And really, they use Christianity as a money-making scheme. Uh, just look at all these big mega churches nowadays where everybody is saturated with emotionalism and selfism and they are they are just you know encapsulated in this circus performance that is done every week these are the people that are shouting lord lord look at all these great things that we've done we've brought thousands of people to faith and the 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 true thing and, and this is how i would position it is going to the very words of christ will these people truly persevere was the sower of the seed sowing on good soil and will these people who have heard the seed heard the word and been given faith will they persevere until the end perseverance to the end is retaining faith it is not about being strong enough in our works and having enough good works to equate to a long-term life of of you know christianity if you would but it simply means that in your dying breath can you still profess christ as lord and savior that is what persevering to the end is. And I will argue that with all of the Calvinists and all the Reformed and all the Protestants and all those people who disagree with me, because perseverance isn't about your will. It is about you hearing the word of God over and over and over again in your life, every Sunday, in the sacraments, in the word preached, in the confession and absolution, being reminded of the promise every single Sunday. And if you have the opportunity, more so than just every Sunday, because as Luther says in his one of the most famous quotes, I need to hear the gospel every day because I forget it. That is the promise. And at our dying breath, that is the persevering to the end. That is the, you know, moving into the next life, if you would, being a Christian. So 
These lepers are kicked out of society. They are rejected and, and kind of uh, kicked in the dust. They want, you know, the people want nothing to do with them. They are uh, ritually unclean and they're excluded. Uh, so he says, Lord, will you, if you will, make me clean? And so this leper believed because of the healing authority that Jesus had shown as we go back to uh, chapter 4. Lepers who were healed were then, uh, could be then pronounced clean and allowed to re-enter society. And so Jesus, uh, you know, touches him and uh, he says, I will be clean. And then immediately the leprosy is cleansed. So it, it, you know, Jesus is actually laying his hand on this person and cleansing him of leprosy. Now, here's another thing that I find interesting. How many of your, uh, of the fake word of faith or quote unquote healing people uh, can do something like this? How many in today's culture can authentically heal somebody of a, you know, a, an evidental disease, something that people can see with their eyes or it can be ran with the blood test you know, whether it's cancer or in this case, a skin disease, how many of these quote unquote healers can do that? And I would venture to say none. And I, and I made that kind of equatedness in my sermon on Sunday was how many doctors can go out and spit into mud and cure a blind man? Not any of them, because it's not a miracle that we are allowed to partake in. It's a miracle that Jesus does. And he does so to demonstrate a number of things, the means of grace, the ability to use in uh, ordinary objects and the uh, authority that Christ has over all things. So there's a lot of things that we have to understand when it you know we deal with the text like John chapter nine. But here in this case, Jesus lays his hand on the leper. The leprosy is cleansed. This is again a miraculous thing to take place because uh, in in today's culture we just don't see it happening, and that's just you know the truth. So. Uh, looking at uh, John, or I'm sorry, Luke. Looking at Luke chapter five, uh, we have the similar story, or the the same story in, from a different perspective here. And verse thirteen of chapter five says this: And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, "I will be clean." And immediately the leprosy left him. So Luke has just a slight different change of the the context here at the very end of that verse. Just that the leprosy left him. In Matthew, it was immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Again, we're talking two different people witnessing a situation and expounding on it. We know Luke didn't actively travel with Jesus, so Matthew's take is a real uh, eyewitness for, uh, account, where, but it doesn't discredit or take back Luke's authority uh, either. So Luke and, and Matthew both have genuine views and understandings of this and they just happen to write different because they're two different people so here's the uh, notes on john um, john luke 5 verse 13 we've got john in my mind because I'm, I'm preaching again on john uh um oh geez so i forget which chapter this coming sunday i have to look at my notes so uh, so i've been saturated with uh, the gospel of john in my mind lately so uh luke chapter 5 verse 13 and it says jesus touched him noteworthy detail because jewish purity laws held that this contact would defile jesus right so if you touched a leper you would be ritually unclean remarkably the exchange runs in the other direction jesus does not become defiled but the unclean man is now made whole and pure so that is a very uh important structure to understand that when jesus touched it, this leper it was it was uh, assumed or asserted 
in the Jewish culture that Jesus would now be unclean. He would be ritually unclean. He can't enter temple. And more than likely, he would have to wait either a period of days, uh, seven days to see if the leper, leprosy would you know, tr- transfer to him, and then he would then be cast out of society. But it goes the other direction. Jesus being God heals and cleanses and washes out the leprosy. So Jesus being clean cleans this man. And so then he tells him, go on to uh don't you know don't say anything so we have some more of this secrecy uh taking place because we know that it is not yet uh the time for jesus to be you know witnessed amongst them even though we have these large large crowds they're following him because of his miracles they're following him because of uh, the stories and the things that they have witnessed and and how he teaches and so uh, they have yet to really associate him with being the messiah some probably have but yet we we don't have that explicitly given. So Jesus will use this kind of secrecy for a little bit of time to say, you know, see that you say nothing to anybody, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses had offered. And so uh, this is just a note that when a person was to be cleaned or the leprosy had been removed, uh, they had to go and present a gift uh, to the, in the temple and then, they would be uh, allowed to reenter society. So verses 1 through 4, the cleansing of the lepers, the first of 10 miracles that Jesus will perform in chapters 8 and 9. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had demonstrated his teaching authority in 729. And Jesus uses that same divine authority in working miracles. His miracles are signs that anticipate the day when every disease and every and even death itself will be no more, as Revelation 21 four, uh, 4 says. Then, as forgiven sinners, we will rejoice with all of those who have been cleansed. So, really, uh, it's a great text. And again, this kind of opens now this healing crusade that Jesus is going to go on. He's going to heal and cast out some demons. And, uh, I'm, I, you know, this is a, a substantial portion of the text here. So, Let's move on and we'll, we'll wrap through uh, verses uh, 5 through 13 here in the next probably 10 or 15 minutes. So, uh, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying uh, paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said those who followed him, truly, truly, I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into utter darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the centurion said to Jesus, or in the, and, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So, uh, <laughs> a great text. And there's uh, a few things we need to pick out of here. So, he's in Capernaum now. And he's encountered by the centurion, who would be a commander in the army of Herod Antipas. Uh, he would have anywhere between 80 and 100 soldiers in his direct reporting uh, that would report to him. And so this is a, a man who has authority. Uh, this is a man who has 
uh, a substantial amount of power, even though there were other commanders and, and, you know, other people, he, he had authority in this area. And so he comes to him and he is a Gentile. So this is an outsider of the Jewish society, just like the leper that we had just a moment ago. So both of these individuals are essentially viewed as being lesser than the Jewish culture. So this is another thing that we have to understand that Jesus, you know, made his ministry focus on the Jewish people first, and then he moves to the Gentiles. However, we see this kind of trickling of Gentiles and unclean people, unworthy people from the Jewish eyes right in the very beginnings of his ministry. And they, they kind of take, you know, front and center attention as Jesus is going about his ministry. And this is one of those such times. Uh, so he has this centurion come to him. Verse 7, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Some translates uh, the words that Jesus spoke here is, shall I come and heal him? Asking this question. Uh, because the Jews would not generally enter a Gentile house. And this is kind of where the centurion says, well, Lord, I, I am not worthy to have you under my house. So he recognizes uh, the authority that Christ carries. And, you know, he calls him Lord. He he asserts that I am not worthy to have you in my house, but if you say the word, my servant will be healed. And then he goes on and he describes his authority that he has over people. So the centurion is, you know, part of a chain of command. He only needed to speak a word and the soldiers under him would obey him. And he believed that even Jesus had a higher authority, even over creation. And so he's using what he knows uh, to relay this back to Christ and, and kind of putting these two pieces of the puzzle together. I am a man of, uh, of authority. I have, you know, a chain below me and a chain above me. And if I'm told to do something, I must do it. If I tell my people below me to do it, they must do it. And he recognizes the authority that Christ carries. And he's, and he's equating what he has and what he sees and knows to the authority that Christ carries. And so that's where he asserts that all you have to do, Lord, is speak the word and, and my and my servant will be healed. Uh, for I too am a you know, man under uh, authority. And he goes on to describe those soldiers there in verse 9. Uh, when he gets to 10, uh, Jesus heard this and he marveled and he said to those who followed him, great, remember this is the great crowds. This is that large uh, following now that he has um, uh started to engage with nowhere else among the Jews had Jesus found such a faith superior to that of the centurion that I think is substantial verse 10 is 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 massively important for us to hear Jesus came as the Messiah to the nation of Israel but yet the Jews had rejected him and yet it's the Gentiles who are demonstrating greater uh, points of faith, greater amounts of faith than the Jews are. And so Jesus makes this statement, nowhere have I found faith in Israel that you carry. That is substantial. So then verse 11, uh, he kind of gives us this wonderful illustration that we will see many people from the East and the West recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so he's, uh, Jesus has this in mind of the messianic banquet of salvation in heaven. Uh, this can be looked at from Isaiah 25, Revelation 19, 9, and even in Matthew 22, verse 2. 
Uh, so many will come from the east and west. This is Gentiles will come from all over the world. And they will recline, and it was customary to eat, lying on one's left side, especially in formal settings. So this is, you know, the, the framework now. Would there be table and chairs? Don't know. Is it going to be like little, you know, like a little raised table off the floor and then like seating spots with a pillow to rest upon? Don't know. We'll see. You know, we can only guess and speculate at the marvels that this heavenly banquet will will entail. But the premise is exactly what Jesus is saying. Many from all over the world, many from the east and many from the west, will come to recline at this table. And they will they will be at the table that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because the Jews had long neglected and rejected the Messiah, now the Gentiles have been grafted into this. And we know that Gentiles were grafted in long before Jesus ever came. We, we know that there are people in the Old Testament who are outside of the nation of Israel who have faith and were believers. So that is a, another important verse here to understand that Jesus is you know, blatantly saying this to the people. Could we argue that the people may not truly understand it yet? You know, could he be talking about maybe a, a localized view of east and west, you know, east and west in Israel, or is he talking about something on a grander scale? Uh, but he's asserting that all these people, all these Gentiles, many of them will come from all over the world and partake at this banquet. And then he moves on to verse 12. While the sons of the kingdom, this is now Israel, the sons of the kingdom, the descendants of Israel who were supposed to have their earthly heritage guaranteed them a place at the banquet. So they had assumed that because of their heritage, they automatically were given this this spot. And what we find is is the the pride that swells in that thought process is what is going to be their downfall because they will be thrown out into utter darkness. This is what we would call at the end of times hell. Uh, this is the uh, the 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 point of judgment. And we could argue whether we think hell is a real place in this current moment or not due to your eschatological view and understanding. You know, is the lake of fire that Jesus speaks about in Matthew 24 and 25, you know, the only time we really witness the real de depiction of hell? Or are we understanding hell in a greater construct that in the meantime, as people die who are unbelievers, they will be cast into the darkness and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth this grinding of one's teeth because of the spiritual and emotional pain and anger accompanying this torturous ordeal. I mean, think about it. At the point of your death, all you will now know is utter darkness. And you will be there and you will hear people and you will be in this place of great torment. That is you know, how we would associate hell. It's not an underground cavern with lava pools and the devil with a pitchfork going around and poking people. Hell is depicted often as utter darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, and just utter torture. And so that's what we would assert uh, verse 12 to be saying. And these are the people who have rejected Christ. This is, he's talking about the sons of the kingdom. This is, this is Israel that he is talking about. They will be cast out into this because they did not have faith. And then he turns to the centurion and he says, go, let it be done to you as you have believed. Jesus healed the servant just as the centurion believed he could. Jesus demonstrates his authority, demonstrates his ability to heal 
while not even being in the presence of this servant. And he does so because the centurion had demonstrated such profound faith to him. So verses 5 through 13, Jesus' words possess power and authority. The centurion believes this and his faith is not invading. Jesus' words still possess power and authority. Water joined with the word of Jesus in holy baptism washes away sin. Bread and wine joined with the word of Jesus in holy communion is his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. What marvels God can do. We sinners rejoice at these miracles of grace. And this is, to me, this is like the, the, the most uh, comforting aspect to Christianity is the sacraments. When we pair God's word with water, we have holy baptism. When we pair God's word with bread and wine, we have holy communion or the Eucharist or the sacrament of the altar, whatever title you want to assert with it. You have this beautiful understanding of what these sacraments do. It washes away sins. It now saves you for the forgiveness of sins. That is over and over and over echoed in the New Testament. You cannot get away from it. When you're baptized, your sins have been forgiven. They're washing away. In the Lord's Supper, you are, again, being given the forgiveness of sins. You are now given life. You are now given salvation. And you are constantly being reminded in this glorious gift that Christ freely gives. And that's the beautiful and comforting thought behind the sacraments and God's word. And we see that his word has power and authority because he can do with it as he pleases. So we're going to wrap there. Uh, we kicked over that 30 minute mark a little bit, but that's totally fine. And, uh, hope you guys enjoy this little run through here of Matthew and we'll pick back up next week. We'll probably do these in a couple sections cause they're not real long verses. You know, there's 14 through 17 for Jesus heals many then the cost of following Jesus. That might be an episode right there at 18 through 22. So we'll do like 14 through 22 next week. Uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of play with it as we go along. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to truncate it too much, but I don't also want to encapsulate or incorporate too much into one episode. So, you know, two sections will probably maybe three if, if they're really short, that might be kind of how we're going to envision this going forward. So uh, that's that ladies and gentlemen, it is uh, Friday as the show releases. So if you listen to it before Sunday, get your butt in church and hopefully you can partake in the sacraments and be reminded of the gospel and the promises that Christ gives you freely that you are a forgiven child of God. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, God bless, and I'll see you all later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.